Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A, where you all ask the questions and we answer. I am joined by my darling co-host, Kristen Williams, physical therapist and senior lit teacher extraordinaire. Hey, KB. Hi, Laura. Hi, everybody. Well, let's launch right in. This is from Alicia, who we know well from uh, teacher training, healing yoga, underline ZA. Hi, Laura. I have a question for the podcast. Could you please discuss what is meant by functional movement versus non-functional movement, especially in the yoga world, and how we define that in lit yoga? Also, some examples. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that. All right. So functional, I'll just launch here. Functional is, you know, functioning in life. Like when we talk about this in, in a clinical setting, we really are interested in how people are performing in daily life because that's what you do the most of. You know, you lean over, you get dishes out of the dishwasher, you walk up and down stairs, you lean, squat, and pick up your kids. So these are functional everyday mo- everyday life. And functional moves really also symbolizes that there are, it's composite muscle groups. So it's multiple joints are moving, um, usually in different directions as well. So it's not just all in a sagittal plane, although walking is sagittal, but the functional moves are more like squatting, hopping, you know, standing on one leg, leaping over something, balancing as you pick up your kid, uh, you know, holding groceries as you knock, you know, kick the foot. <laughs> this sounds like I do it all the time. Put my foot on my doorknob, right? So these are, so we're moving multiple joints in multiple directions. So it composite, meaning not just one set of muscles are being used, but multiple. And functional movements, just like all movements, like we do on the mat, we want to have a stable base so that we can do all these things. We can handle bags of groceries as we open a door, shut the door, pick up. I mean, it's amazing, especially, no offense, but moms 
who were primary caregivers who were doing so much, carrying kids, carrying car seats, carrying things, getting them in and out of a car, you know, leaning over a stroller, shutting a stroller, putting it in, like everything you can think of that you would do in daily life that is not sitting, right? So sitting is where, unfortunately, we spend a majority of our time, our world has become more sedentary. But functionalists are all those movements, patterns that we do. And we want to do them for many, many decades. You know, we want to be in our 80s or 90s, unloading the dishwasher, walking up and down stairs, playing on the floor with our grandkids, dare I say, jogging or doing jumping jacks or swinging on it, you know, a swing set. And so non-functional movements would be kind of the opposite of that. Movements that don't necessarily translate into something you would do in daily life. It doesn't mean that they're not valuable. Where we want the intersection, and this is what we do in Lit, is like, are these movements emboldening us and strengthening our core and mobilizing our joints in the ways that are needed for those functional movement patterns. And I'll, I'll let you take it from there and maybe give a couple examples. Sure. No, I, and I think you illustrated that perfectly. And there is an, an intersection between non-functional or more uniplanar, open chain. That's where we would talk about in physical therapy. There's a need for that, um, which is what we will use. Well, we do it in lit. You know, sometimes we'll do repetitive arm movements, or, you know, pulsing. And that's where you're targeting a smaller number of muscle groups. Like, let's say you want to target the upper back, you'll, you'll pulse in a, in a W shape, um, a, a reverse fly, or we'll bicep curl, we'll tricep extend. Those are non-functional. Not to mean we don't do that in regular life, but we don't do that in regular life. We don't pulse repeatedly in regular life. Now, we need to be able to retract the scapula to go grab something out of the backseat of the car, but we don't do it over and over again. But that doesn't mean it's unimportant. So non-functional would be something like that that's more geared towards, I would say, um, strengthening a smaller number of muscle groups. And then you talked about the composite muscle group functioning of uh, functional movement patterns where you're it's multi-planar, you're moving, you're changing directions. So we're going, for example, we do this a ton in lit where we'll do a little flow sequence from one pose to another, to another, to another, to another, to, you know, this um, re repetitive changing of positions, which is what we need to be able to do in daily life. So in physical therapy, we call that activities of daily living. So getting up out of a chair, well, you know, that might be squats where you're coming down and maybe you'll make it repetitive, but a squat, because you have the feet on the floor, multiple muscle groups are working, that makes it functional versus doing a hamstring curl by itself, not as functional. So there's definitely a gray line to it. And I do think right now, functional movement is kind of a catchphrase that people are throwing around because there's a lot of things in traditional yoga that you could say is functional. Perhaps, you know, kneeling down, mm -hmm. low lunge, we need to be able to do that. Quadruped, that's functional. But traditional yoga tends to be very hyperextensive, more, more uh, thinking more about the way it looks rather than the way it functions in our body to engage the core and engage more muscles for stability. 
So I don't know if I helped there or... Uh, yeah, I mean, I would just tack on to that, like what you're saying. So in a kind of classical yoga, there might be more of a push or persuasion toward in-range motion, which is not... You, most functional movement is not into the inter, you know, in-range of motion. Um, it's in that middle ground where there's like kind of like a spring. Like if you if you open up the spring too much, it, it kind of loses the elastic property, which we want. So if I want to get up off the chair, I mean, how many people could just get up and like run to the door and answer it in a minute without feeling kind of heavy or held back, right? So that's, that's the kind of coil spring thing that we want to have where we have choices. We have that adaptability. And some of traditional yoga, like you said, automatically has some function into it. It does have some composite muscles. It has some good joint range of motion. But for instance, like going into extended side angle, you know, we don't teach that really in, in lit. And it's not that it's a terrible pose, but it's not functional. You would never go and get something off the ground in such an asymmetric way because you are putting all those muscles, actually, they're really imbalanced. And then you're you're adding load into the ribs and spine and pelvis in an asymmetrical way. And you're not putting your, your body in its best position to come out of it. Like getting into it in, in it itself might not be very deleterious, but it's really the movement out of it, the transition out of it. It is really not functional. Like you just would not be, it's like picking up a pet. That's how, like I just worked with a private this morning and she was picking up something, almost think of like an extended side angle. Like she went laterally flexed and it was way to the ground and then she picked it up and it was a load and she's she strained her back. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, so we just examine, I think in lit, we're just looking at it. Again, it is a physical therapy lens, but it's also like longevity, sustainability. And we know that we want to, do things that make us feel joyful and strong and adaptable and springy, you know, available to move in a variety of ways. Well, and I think the interesting thing that's happening right now in physical therapy as well is there's this other hot topic of, well, I should be able to move at this extreme range and I should be strong at this extreme range. So let's practice at this extreme range. So I'm thinking like the Jefferson curl or, you know, where some physical therapists are training at end ranges of motion because I should be strong there. And what I just, what, well, I think what we both believe, but I can certainly speak for myself is you're so much more better off being strong at that mid range and moving in the mid range of safety than practicing at the end range and training at the end range where you physically have less capability to be strong. Like you, it is simply sarcomere length. And I mean, it's, it's, it's anatomy people. So, and to what benefit is there being strong at that end range? Because how often are we really there? If we're there, we're usually moving poorly. Like you said, that person was going into that or we'll see it. I'll have someone bend over and I have to tell them. It's really funny because I work with a lot of lit people now. And I'm like, no, 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 not a lit forward hinge. I want you to bend. Like I want to see flexion in the spine. And then I'll say, now come back up. And I don't see this with our people as much, but in the clinic, they will almost swan dive back up and, you know, teaching people, you know, just how to move better 
it's all physics, you know, with less strain on the joints where you can, where you can, you know, function is going to use the body. Functional movement is going to make the body work where there's equal load, you know, Mm -hmm. because that's the smart way to move smart. That's what we talk about. Smart yoga means the load is spread across multiple joints as opposed. So I know it's a hot topic and people, you know, will be like, but my physical therapist said that I should be strong there. And that's fine. Uh, I'll just tell you why I don't foresee myself ever teaching someone to work at those end ranges, to become strong at those end ranges, because I think it's smarter to brain map in a functional, more neutral, you know, there's a, there's a range. Doesn't mean don't go to the end range, but don't wait and, you know, wait as in W E I G H T at that end range, you know, let's, Bring the load close, wait at the close range, and and move through mid-range function where multiple joints can be working together. So a little digression, just because I know that there is that is the hot topic right now of let's get strong, let me move in this crazy way and put a weight on. And I just think to myself, oh my yeah, God. Mid, like, you know, 1% of population should be doing that. And the reason we say that is it's like, again, it isn't inherently injurious, but most people don't, first of all, their form in mid-range is not that great. You know, so I would, it it takes a long time for, I've seen people, it takes a long time to be able to really stabilize the thoracopelvic cylinder, which is your core container, through various uh, planes of motion um, with forces placed upon you, like gravity or, or your own body weight. And, and that's sufficient for most people and, and hard for most people. So just doing that over and over again, paying attention, brain mapping, because you're also going against the many other hours of the day where you might not be as adaptable. And, and the hope is that whatever you do on the mat, and that's the other big thing I would say, um, Alicia, as you know, is why we're, we're really trying to educate people. So it's not just about doing poses. It's about experiencing your body in, th- in, in movement, paying attention, using your breath, uh, being aware, not just doing something because somebody else is doing it, but are you able to do it with good form? Yeah. Because that's, that's the ultimate goal. It, it's not about, you know, whether you achieve a chaturanga or a handstand, but how are you, how are you getting there and what's the process? So yeah, we could digress a lot, but I agree with everything you said sister, of course. Of course. <laughs> All right. Una Yoga One asks, perseverance slash confidence when coming back after an injury. Can you talk about this? You know, that's really hard. Um, people need to respect that fear of pain. And there, there, is a, there is a PTSD aspect to pain. And that that's real and that that's okay a lot of what I feel like I do both in the clinic and in our you know, personal private settings um, is teach people to start to create a relationship with pain and um, recognize what it is and, you know, how we can, because it is an output from the brain. And so when you have fear of pain after an injury, it might not be the giving you the accurate feedback or the accurate story of what's going on. So I think a lot of that is, which is where I tend to start with mobility. You know, let's do something. I talk about the the stoplight, red light, yellow light, green light. Let's work in that yellow range where 
Because if you stay in the gr- in the green range where you feel nothing, you're much less likely to get back to, or it's going to take longer anyway to really get back. But you know, coming back from an injury, a lot of times you're still going to have echoes of that pain, whether it's real or not, or fear of hurting yourself. So there's a lot of education of the body that goes on to restore that comfort and, you know, really let go of that attachment to the injury. Um, I feel it. I, my, you know, my right shoulder has been bothering me for a couple weeks now and you know, I am not letting up and I just really, I slow things down, but I'm still, I'm still doing everything and just paying a little closer attention. And, you know, sure enough, it's getting better. It's getting better. So, you know, I think that you don't want to go into red light. You don't want to push into pain, but, you know, pushing that envelope, getting, you know, playing around with getting back your full range of motion, then building the strength up, working in that stability at the more neutral range, and then starting to move. You know, it's all about like we teach in lit, mobility, stability, adaptability. You got to get the mobility and the stability first, and then you start to work on that adaptability. And it's all kind of overlapping. You're not moving from one to two to three. There's some overlap. But I also just encourage people to be compassionate for what they're feeling by way of fear that while it is real, it can inhibit you. So you have to create this or start creating a relationship with it, um, whether and it can truly be by way of self-talk, self-encouragement, and, you know, meeting yourself where you are in that moment. And every day is going to be different. I talk about it being like the stock market. You know, it's not a straight trajectory of getting better every day. You're going to have dips and that's okay. You know, we're moving in the right direction. We're trending in the right direction. So, you know, that's my first take on it. What do you say about that? That's a great analogy. I like that. Don't look at the stock market every day, right? No way, man. <laughs> because, right? Because that like, uh, you know, that can get on, get into your nervous system. And I would just add on to this. And I go at length with a recent podcast. Just look at my Monday motivation, science of pain. And there's obviously an abundance more of information out there than that. But pain is an opinion it is your body is com- conversing with you. And sometimes, um, as I talk about that on a podcast, it's like a bell tower ringer who is rings when there's no, no danger and keeps ringing when the danger is gone and is erratic and maybe doesn't, you know, it's so it's like start to first having the conversation with yourself, especially if you're not in like an acute injury, you've torn something that you do, you know, even then you should keep moving to a degree it has just been shown over and over again from from people doing the opposite, from like not moving at all, totally casting something up uh, that's just has a soft tissue injury. And there's a long, you know, a negative impact on that. If you've got an injury and you're healing and there's scar tissue coming, you want to get that scar tissue mobile so it doesn't interfere with your potential range of motion in the future. But it is a lot of your nervous system. And so really... Uh, listen to that podcast. I, I give you some ideas of how to really ramp down the, the the dysregulated nervous system that accompanies, and that's what you're talking about, perseverance, confidence. Confidence is where you do have to start saying, I'm going to be okay. This body is like, it is, it is tough. It is tough. And sometimes our messaging 
can make us more fearful. But if we can start to have this, the, the intellect say, mm, we're good, we're good here. Let's just, you know, move it a little bit. Like Kristen said, do the green light, yellow light kind of zone and not go into red light where you're, you're in pain. If you're waking up in pain every day, but you're feeling good during the day, then you have to start thinking about like, it's, it's a mystery, like peel it back. What's your mattress like? How are you sleeping at night? If you're feeling better during the day, then it's movement helps. You need more of that, but you also need to look at your form and then look at how you're sleeping. Those are some, I mean, there's so many tips, but I think the main thing to consider is that, you know, build that confidence and know that your body will be okay. But it's also everything you're experiencing is real for you, right? Your nervous system is responding. So someone else who is much more anxious might respond to spraining an ankle more than I would because I would be like, oh, damn, that's going to cost me a couple of weeks. You know, like, and I would just do what I have to do, tape it up, keep it moving, walk around, but, and just think, okay, I got, I got, you know, whatever amount of time. But if somebody else is super anxious, they might be like, every time they take a step, flinch. That isn't to say that isn't real for them. It's just heightened by all. So pain has to go through the filter in your brain and if your brain is busy with a lot of other stuff, especially anxiety and stress, that filter is not as good. So pain signals get louder to be heard. So try it to really work on your breathing, centering, and telling yourself, I am going to be fine. I'm strong. I'm good. That ankle is going to heal. Let's go. Ah, pain is fascinating. All right. Well, <sighs> Uh, we have time. Let's do one quick more, one, one more quick one, which was a cute one to be able to do. This is with our friend Rose who asked, uh, what's your posture as you eat? I can imagine you still maintain neutral, but I find myself either hunching over or bringing my plate bowl close to my mouth to hold neutral. What a cute question. I love this. When we become such a postural, uh, what is the word? We're not police. We're just so in enthusiasts. We're postural enthusiasts. We want to have it all the time. And um, my quick question, my quick answer to this is, you know, you're eating. So <laughs> I wouldn't worry about it too much. Uh, it was funny because I was, I was out to lunch with um, a friend and she was saying, so how do you think about how, what are the other things? Like, I'll think about my posture and then it goes away. And so I just said, hey, lean back in the booth. Can you feel your scapula? Like you can't, the head was, didn't have anything, but like, just take those moments wherever you're sitting or you have some kind of feedback. Now, if I'm going to lean over and get something to eat, I'm going to come out of that. Like that's neutral. And then I'm going to lean over. I don't want to get crumbs on my lap. So that's fine. It's not like you're staying in a hunched over position. If you're staying there and shoveling something in your mouth, that's a bigger issue because that might not be a good <laughs> good etiquette, as we might say. Do you have any um, other comments well, there? Well, and I think you, you said it. I mean, let's think about it. How long do we really spend eating? Like it's half hour max when we're actually doing the eating part, we're sitting, we're waiting for our food. I would say, yeah, I'm maintaining a good seated posture like I would when I'm sitting here in a meeting, I'll come into good posture. Now I'm going to move forward out of it. But, so yeah. we don't want people to become robots or we don't want people to be walking around only in triple S and never coming out of triple S. That is as bad as walking around stooped over you want to be able to move. So when you're eating, don't worry about it. Just eat. 
you know? <laughs> and then, um, but I get it. We become so enthusiastic, especially our new lit teachers really become excited about this idea because we see change. We see change in our clients. We see change. You and I see change in our patients by improving posture. People get super excited about it. But I so often say to people, watch Lara, watch her move. She's not in triple S all the time. There is a length that you are in good posture, but there's a freedom. You know, when we're Mm -hmm. flowing, we're moving. You know, you'll come into flexion. You'll come into extension. Like, it's okay to go there. We want to have this ability to maintain neutral when we need it. When we talked about just a a couple questions ago, when, when we need it against forces. When you're eating, God forbid, unless something comes and slams into the building, you're under very low threat of injury, you know? So we don't need to be focused. You're in parasympathetic state, I hope. Rest and digest. So you chill out and enjoy. enjoy it. Yeah. And you know what? This just popped in my head, and this is a great way of thinking about it. If you drive, or if you know somebody that drives, or you, you know, have a device that you, when you're in the car, you use, let's just say. So I don't want to make any assumptions, but we all know where home base is, right? And so like, I'll be out and I, or I'm going somewhere and I'll put in my GPS. But once I'm there, yeah, I might do, I might go home, but I always am going to know how to get home. Like I'm always going to know where home is, even if I might need a couple of directions to get me on the path there. And that's really home base is triple S. Never, you leave home base. But it's when people don't have that ability to find it again or find it regularly, you know, like, okay. And then it becomes automatic. Just like it's automatic. You know where you live, you know the street, you know how you get out of your, you know, out of your neighborhood or out of your, out of the apartment building, whatever. Like, you know it, it's home base. And that's what we want triple S to be, that we know how to achieve it even though we're going to leave it, right? And then we're going to come back to it. It's when people literally just have no idea like how to find home base. And so what we're, we do is we give you lots of tools, hands, blocks, walls, feedback to help you assist your brain's GPS to figure it out. Because yeah, like to Kristen's point, when we're practicing and against load and forces, we want to hold it because that's going to be really stable And of course, in neutral, that's when all of our joints are maintaining their, you know, the the greatest surface area. And that's a great way to exchange energy. But we digress from eating. So (laughs) have fun while you're eating. Don't worry about it. If you're spending five hours eating, like some of our wonderful European friends, I'm sure they're getting up, they're dancing, they're, you know, they're moving around. They're not just hunched over like a little caveman (laughs) eating. So enjoy. But I love that question. Thank you, Rose. All right. This was so fun. As always, thank you, KB. You're welcome. Love you. I love you. And we are pulling for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.